The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. It uh, gives me no pleasure to bring this to you today. It's a milestone that we've been warning about for months at this point, and it's a horrible milestone as coronavirus cases and subsequently deaths have climbed. We hit 2000 deaths per day again and we went past it. I've been saying that by the end of this month, we will likely be seeing a 9-11 day worth of deaths every single day from coronavirus. And we are essentially there. Yesterday was the worst single death day since the start of the pandemic. Twenty eight hundred thirty three people died in one day, depending on how you measure the day, the exact 24 hours. Johns Hopkins actually has a higher number above 3000. But this is roughly essentially the number of people killed on 9-11 directly by the events. Now, the number it's twenty nine seventy seven, I believe, is the official number of nine eleven deaths on nine eleven. Now, this doesn't include people that died in the days after due to uh, uh, stress induced heart attacks and and first responders who later developed illness because of their presence at ground zero. So the number is is really quite a bit higher. But on the day of nine eleven at the sites of the disaster, it's considered to be just under three thousand. And that's where we are. We are likely to significantly exceed this daily death number for much of the remaining month. And half the country is barely willing to alter their lives in any way as a result. And 9-11 is an interesting um, event to think about because think back to 9-11. We, as a result of one day of 3000 people tragically dying, completely reformed airport security and created a massive, I mean, gargantuan infrastructure through which we now all go when we fly. TSA was created. The Patriot Act was passed justifying invasions of privacy on the basis of keeping us safe. We attacked a country and got involved in a multi-decade military engagement, the wrong country, by the way. Uh, we I believe also created the Department of Homeland Security, maybe another agency, all because of 9-11. And now we have a 9-11 every day at this point, 300,000 approaching 300,000 dead nationally from the entire pandemic. And nearly half the country doesn't want to do anything about this 9-11's worth of deaths every single day. Now, as a reminder, uh, covid deaths lag cases at this point, it's by about a month. We are now at about one hundred thousand people hospitalized nationally with the virus. That's a record, which means that the next month is going to be absolutely insane. And as you can see, when you look at a chart of cases of those hospitalized and deaths, you see hospitalizations are approaching nearly double the record we had. We had about 60,000 hospitalizations during the first spike in April. We had about 60,000 hospitalized in the second spike in July. We are now at about 100,000 hospitalized and continuing to climb. Notice how deaths track hospitalizations in the second spike. Deaths didn't climb as much, and that's because hospitals had more capacity. We are now starting to see hospitals fill up again, and it all bodes really, really poorly. Now we're expecting vaccine approval 
uh, for one vaccine next week, another vaccine shortly thereafter. It will take months to roll that out. The numbers we might see in the rest of December into January, into February, even into March, depending on how quickly these vaccines are deployed. These are going to be completely nightmarish numbers. We're almost living in two realities. Sadly, you look at what public health experts say and we have a dire disastrous situation. You look at the Instagram and Facebook pages of nearly half the country, people behaving like nothing is going on. It is truly nuts. And the next month is next month is going to be terrible. Uh, you really have to see this. We heard from the president yesterday. Donald Trump published a completely deranged and bizarre 46 minute video to Facebook after another week went by without seeing him except on the golf course, continuing to promote laughable and even conflicting conspiracy theories about the election. This was promoted as being maybe the most important speech ever from the president. And they were merely the rantings of a madman who cannot accept that he simply lost an election. So I want to go because we have so much to talk about today. I want to go right into one of the most cartoonish moments of this speech, which is Trump holding up of this blown up chart of the vote count in Wisconsin, where, as predicted, Early voting was more leaning Trump because of in person. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, early is, is a confusing term. In person voting led to early numbers that looked better for Trump. And then, as the mail in ballots were counted, as expected, it shifted more in the direction of Joe Biden. So, Trump now going back a month, Trump still thinks he has something here to the vote count sequelae in Wisconsin. Listen to this. That Wisconsin. We're leading by a lot. And then at 3.42 in the morning, there was this. It was a massive dump of votes, mostly Biden, almost all Biden. And to this day, everyone's trying to figure out where did it come from? But I went from leading by a lot to losing by a little. And that's right here. That's at 3.42 in the morning. That's Wisconsin. A terrible thing. There is just so much here that is wrong. Much of it, I'm sure you can tell right away. One of the things that is happening frequently is they keep talking about the times of day when votes were counted as part of the suspicion. Uh, this happened at 3.42 in the morning. Well, it's election night and they're counting ballots. Now, what you have to understand, this is one of those indefeasible talking points in other states when they stopped counting, that was also suspicious. So really understand the absurdity here. In some states, they have rules like Pennsylvania was one such state where they stop counting for the night on election night. At some point, it might have been 10 or 11 p.m. Eastern in, in Pennsylvania. And you had people saying, that's suspicious. Dave Rubin saying what they needed naps or something really weird that all of a sudden they just stop counting for the night. That was suspicious here in Wisconsin. It's suspicious that they were still counting at three forty two in the morning. It's an indefeasible argument. You can't overturn the argument. You can't combat the argument because both sides are evidence of the same conspiracy. Stopping the count is strange. Counting at 3 a.m. also strange. Trump then continues and says the election was rigged and everybody knows it. This election was rigged. 
Everybody knows it. I don't mind if I lose an election, but I want to lose an election fair and square. What I don't want to do is have it stolen from the American people. That's what we're fighting for, and we have no choice to be doing that. We already have the proof. We already have the evidence, and it's very clear. Many people in the media, and even judges so far, have refused to accept it. Now, this is really Orwellian doublespeak, where everything is backwards. Everything is the opposite. Trump says the judges and the media won't accept it. Judges looked at the so-called evidence and determined it was without merit, so they threw out cases. The media did accept that Joe Biden won, so it's a completely backwards alternate reality. Let's look at a little bit more. They know it's true. They know it's there. They know who won the election, but they refuse to say, "You're right." Our country needs somebody to say you're right. So once again, this is this is projection. Trump knows it's true that Joe Biden won and it's childish to keep pretending otherwise. We'll continue. Ultimately, I am prepared to accept any accurate election result, and I hope that Joe Biden is as well. This is part of the continued play to make it seem as though there is a doubt about the result. Joe Biden and the media and most of the American people have accepted the real results. And it's Trump and his followers that haven't accepted the results. It's it's all just backwards. And then again, Trump brings up this idea of proof. But we already have the proof. We already have tens of thousands of ballots more than we need to overturn all of these states that we're talking about. This is an election for the highest office in the greatest country in the history of the world. Every reasonable American should be able to agree, based on what we have already documented, that we need a systematic analysis of the mail-in ballots to review the envelopes. Now, this is sort of a gish gallop. We, we have tens of thousands of examples from all over the country. That's not how we do it. We look at one by one. Judges in various states look at examples from those states and they look at the examples and make a determination about their merits. And in each individual instance, there was no merit. This is a, a common debating technique, and Trump is doing gish gallop by ballot, for lack of a better term, saying we have tens of thousands of examples in all these different states. That's not how we analyze it. We look at these individually, and individually, they have been found to be without merit. Just a little more video here. This is the absolute minimum we should expect. This is not just about my campaign, although it has a lot to do with who's going to be your next president. This is about restoring faith and confidence in American elections. The party that has been trying to suppress the vote for a decade now says we need to restore confidence. Donald Trump's attorney general, William Barr, one of the most biased partisan attorneys general that I can remember, already said, as of right now, there is no proof of fraud. Trump's cybersecurity director said there is no proof of fraud. Trump fired him. If you really want to deal with this issue, they have to look at their own party, the voter purges, the attempts to kneecap the United States Postal Service, gerrymandering that's within the state level. They are the ones that have actually been the, the perpetrators of what they now claim they are the victims of. It's truly a deranged speech from the president of the United States. It is of massive historical significance in the sense that at some point when this is all over,
um, and the historians and the sociologists and the psychologists and the economists and the you know, I mean, the, this is going to be fodder for so many disciplines for a very long time. This is exactly the type of speech that you would look at to sort of epitomize the absolute uh, 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 insanity of what we're experiencing right now. How much longer do you think these types of narratives from Trump will continue? Let me know on Twitter where you can find me at D Pacman. The David Pacman Show at DavidPacman.com. I want to let you know that our sponsor Vincero Watches is having a massive holiday sale on all of their products right now, and you can take advantage of it by going to DavidPacman.com slash watch. A brand new high quality wristwatch really is the perfect way to add something fresh to your style, whether it's for you or a gift for someone else. Vincero is a brand that has a serious dedication to the craft of watchmaking, which is really evident when you look closely at their watches. I wear Vincero watches myself. Lately, I've been wearing one from their Icon Automatic collection. It's the mesh matte black watch, and I love the sleek, minimalist design. Their watches are actually sold at a fair price. Their mission has always been to make a wristwatch from high end materials, but one that everyday people can afford. And that's why they have over twenty five thousand five star reviews, because you won't find a better made watch for this great of a price anywhere else. You can get big holiday discounts on all of their products right now and free shipping when you go to davidpackmancom slash watch. I've put the link in the podcast notes. One of our sponsors today is Magic Spoon. The reason I'm such a fan of Magic Spoon is they allow me to enjoy the delicious breakfast cereals I loved as a kid without all the sugar and without the unhealthy ingredients, because Magic Spoon makes breakfast cereal that you really can't tell apart from those tasty sugary cereals that we all know. But each serving of Magic Spoon has no sugar three net carbs and 11 grams of protein. So it's perfect for someone on a low carb keto diet. Just anybody trying to eat healthier and cut back on the sugar. You can choose from cocoa, frosted, fruity, cinnamon, blueberry or peanut butter. They all taste amazing. And Magic Spoon now lets you create your own customized variety pack with the flavors you choose. They really do stand by their product and will refund 100% of your money if you don't love it. No questions asked. Go to magicspoon.com/pacman to build your own custom variety box today and be sure to use promo code pacman to get free shipping. The link is in the podcast notes. The David Pakman Show at DavidPakman.com. The number one way, the easiest way, the most beautiful way to support the David Pakman Show is to grab a membership at JoinPakman.com. It's quick, it's easy. You'll get a daily commercial free audio and video stream of the entire broadcast show, as well as access to the bonus show every single day, an extra show for our members. Sign up at JoinPakman.com. Uh, also, you can join the discussion with 26,000 other viewers and listeners. Imagine that on our subreddit at davidpackman.com slash reddit. That's R-E-D-D-I-T. This morning, I spotted an interesting post asking on the subreddit, 
whether Rudy Giuliani could be disbarred for these sham voter frauds hearings that uh, voter fraud hearings that he is doing, setting up a parallel legal system. You know, th there's actually a very interesting double edged sword here. On the one hand, Rudy Giuliani's presence at these hearings, making bogus claims of voter fraud with ridiculous affidavits and completely deranged witnesses, some of whom I'll play video of momentarily. Um, on the one hand, his behavior is completely unbecoming of an agent of the court. At the same time, they're not really legally relevant hearings in any way. And what I mean by that is they are sometimes held in hotel rooms. Nobody is under oath and they are meaningless from a legal perspective. So the double edged sword is if these were legal proceedings, then what Rudy is doing would absolutely uh, uh, in my view, suggests that maybe this guy should not be an officer of the court. At the same time, these are sham proceedings. So therefore, they don't even really count as legal. Not really. They do not count as legal proceedings. They are not legal proceedings, which makes it a very bizarre uh, uh, situation. And uh, I don't expect there will be any uh, uh, bar repercussions for Rudy Giuliani whatsoever. Another post from the subreddit asking about the upcoming elections, saying there will be more complete Trumpian candidates and even more QAnon believers elected at no lower levels in swing state legislatures in 2022 and 2024. I actually don't know that the ship has sailed on that. I don't know that the ink is dry, so to speak, on whether we will see bonkers Trumpian QAnon candidates in 22 and 24. I think it will depend on whether Donald Trump remains uh, a visible element during the next couple of years or whether he disappears. If Donald Trump, I mean, listen, he's doing a rally on Saturday for the Georgia Senate races. But if Donald Trump disappears to just play golf for the next few years, I actually think that the the appetite and enthusiasm behind these Trumpian QAnon candidates will completely deflate. On the other hand, if Donald Trump, as some have suggested, goes directly into his 2024 campaign after Joe Biden is inaugurated, I do think that there is a, a strong likelihood that we will see QAnon and Trumpian candidates in the midterms and maybe even into into 2024. Uh, we will follow it. And I encourage you to join the discussion at davidpackmancom slash Reddit. So we finally got an actual press briefing from White House Press Secretary Secretary Kayleigh McEnany yesterday. Um, and of course, with Donald Trump having answered questions only once in the month, really in the six weeks, uh, two weeks before and month since the election, uh, there were many important issues that uh, reporters had for the White House. And they finally got an opportunity to ask these questions of Kayleigh McEnany. Now, it was absolutely the stuff of legend in the sense that communications professionals should be studying yesterday's Kayleigh McEnany press briefing like the Zapruder film, to be perfectly frank. I'm going to go through the dishonesty, the deception, the mania of yesterday's press briefing. And just as a reminder to lower everybody's blood pressure, Kayleigh has seven weeks left. She is being replaced by Joe Biden's choice, Jen Psaki. Jen Psaki is very boring, very sober, very non scandalous. So there's just seven weeks left of this. First question Kaylee is asked Donald Trump has filed 40 lawsuits related to so called election fraud. They've all been thrown out. The election has been certified in most states. Does Donald Trump still think he can win? Check out Kaylee's answer, or better said, her non answer. Of more than 40 cases that have been brought by the president's legal team 
the majority have been denied or dismissed. The election results have been certified in all of the battleground states. Does the president still think he has a path to win? Uh, the president has said that he believes um, all legal votes should be counted and all legal votes should not be counted. And in fact, the campaign um, is pursuing that litigation. I can't get into the details of that litigation here, but they still do have active cases in Nevada and Wisconsin. But how does he overturn the results when they've already been certified in these battleground states? Again, the president is just looking for every legal vote to be counted, and I will leave it to the campaign uh, to pursue their end. Can the president win an election that he lost? And Kaylee says, well, he thinks all legal votes should be counted and go talk to the campaign, which she is a member of. Remember that she is a senior advisor to the campaign, but not today. Today, she is White House press secretary. Every question about some major scandal in a normal administration, you would have an entire week of press briefings where every question from every reporter would be about one of these scandals. We are in such an accelerated scandal ridden world that we are getting one question about the fake voter fraud war Trump has been waging for a month. Next question, one question about the alleged cash for pardons scandal that is being investigated and Trump's possible pardons for his own children for Rudy Giuliani. Let's listen to how Kaylee handles that one. Questions. Has the president then spoken to uh, Attorney General Bill Barr since this comments came out yesterday? I'm not aware if they've spoken. Um, I know the Attorney General was here yesterday for a pre-planned meeting with the Chief of Staff, and they discussed an array of issues. But um, I'm not aware if the president has spoken to him directly. Has the president considered any preemptive uh, pardons to any of his kids? Has he talking uh, talking to um, Attorney Giuliani about this? I've heard no mention um, of any pardons um, in any conversation. I've had in the White House other than the pardon of uh, Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, a three-star general who I've discussed from this podium before, um, who had his life ruined. Um, he was a valiant hero who served his country both on the battlefield and then came to work in government. That's not former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn. That's three-star General Michael Flynn, whose life was ruined. Okay, so she won't talk about the 40 election lawsuits and she won't talk about pardons. Trump has been toying with running again in 2024. Kaylee has asked about that. Will she talk about that? Let's take a look. Sounds like he's planning to run again. Do you know if that's a fact? I haven't spoken to him about that again. Um, his campaign is pursuing litigation. I would redirect you to the campaign. Now, of course, she is part of the campaign that she's trying to redirect that question to. But yesterday she wasn't wearing her campaign hat. She was wearing her press secretary hat. So she's not going to answer that. So lawsuits, no answer. Pardons, no answer. Running again, no answer. We're keeping track. She's then asked again about evidence of fraud, pointing out uh, the reporter is that Bill Barr said there is no such evidence. And again, that's going to have to go to the campaign, she tells us. I think maybe the discrepancy is, you know, you have members of the Trump campaign coming forward and saying that there is hard evidence of widespread voter fraud enough to overturn the outcome of the election. And then you have the nation's top law enforcement officer, the attorney general, saying if there is, he hasn't seen it. Well, the attorney general was speaking to what has come before his desk. Um, and again, I'd point you to the campaign for specific um, questions on this. But I would just say generally they are pursuing pursuing civil litigation, which in fact the attorney general explicitly said some of this is meant more for civil litigation, which is what the campaign is currently pursuing. Now, bear in mind when she says civil litigation, 
you can translate that to nothing that even remotely has a shot at overturning a single state, never mind the entire election. That's how we should understand her saying there is civil litigation. So then vaccination. Finally, she will talk about vaccination to call the vaccine the Trump vaccine. It allows it to, and we will have 40 million doses by the end of the year, which is a tremendous achievement, not just to have gotten a vaccine in this time, but to have produced 40 million in advance. It's uh, having a businessman as president, it's the Trump vaccine. And then vaccines actually came up again when Kaylee was asked, why has Donald Trump been so MIA as the biggest surge ever is happening right now? You give some examples of, um, you know, lawmakers who've been talking about COVID, but I am curious, where has President Trump been in offering public leadership on this topic of the coronavirus, especially as we've seen cases surge? We haven't seen the president make any sort of public comments um, or even tweets about this surge in cases. So I'm curious what sort of examples you have. Yeah, uh, quite a bit. I mean, he's created the greatest testing system in the world. He gave um, a press conference about two weeks ago, I believe, on the vaccine, uh, which he has done at warp speed because he's torn down bureaucratic barriers. He's been hard at work. He's done, I don't know how many uh, coronavirus task force briefings from this podium, um, but the work he's done speaks for itself. The fact that now the case fatality rate in this country is 2%. Um, it was 6% in April. This is really important to understand. So the first four questions we looked at, they were just dishonest and, and, and sort of mischievous non-answers by Kaylee McEnany. Here, I actually want to talk about this, putting aside the hilarity of Trump's press conference two weeks ago at which he took no questions. But but, but we're going to put that aside. She says Trump has done vaccine development at warp speed. It's the Trump vaccine. This just isn't true. The, the reality is that these new vaccines were developed on an mRNA platform. And that is a different way of developing vaccines than the than the method that has traditionally been done, which takes longer. And there are companies and countries all over the world that have developed mRNA vaccines that are all going to be ready very, very soon. Some of them were part of Operation Warp Speed. Some of them were not while in the US and some were in other countries. They all were developed equally quickly. And in fact, the BioNTech German vaccine, which then Pfizer partnered with without taking uh, 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 Operation Warp Speed money that has already been approved for emergency use in the UK. So it's simply a type of vaccine whose development is faster. Don't fall for it. And then Kaylee McEnany is asked about the threats that are being faced by Georgia election workers. We talked about this a couple of days ago. Donald Trump keeps inspiring hostility towards election workers. And Kaylee pulls out a brilliant line, which is there's no place for violence. And however, take a look. Yeah, thanks, Kaylee. I have just two quick questions. If I could. Uh, Georgia officials have said election workers there are facing threats because of the president's false claims about winning the state and his rhetoric about the election. Does the president condemn threats against election workers or does he take any responsibility for those threats? We condemn any threats um, against anyone. There's no place for violence. Um, what I will say, though, too, is that you know, the president's lawyers, um, they were doxxed by a left organization, um, their private information put out. So we're seeing that um, happen to people on both sides of, of the argument. And there's no place for that ever anywhere. There's no place for violence. But listen, one of Trump's lawyers was doxxed. So what? So what? Two wrongs make a right. What kind of answer is that even from somebody speaking officially for the White House? So we are getting down to the end. 
Kaylee McEnany has decided she's going down with the ship uh, or, or she is actively part of the per, the, the, the group taking the ship down, um, continuing to humiliate herself. Every interview, every press briefing, truly stunning. Uh, and meanwhile, we are still starting to see uh, we are continuing to see better said a little bit more fact checking happening on Fox News. Let's talk about that next. So this is pretty wild. Um, in another one of these sort of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde moments on Fox News, Trump daughter in law and campaign employee, I think she's an advisor, Lara, Lara Trump. This is the wife of Eric Trump, not known as the smart one, uh, Eric, that is. She ran up against what I guess now counts as news on Fox News, and she was instantly reality checked by Fox News host Martha McCallum about her continued claims that it's actually Donald Trump who won the election. We all know that Joe Biden won. There's not anything that Lara or Donald Trump or Eric Trump are going to be able to do about it. Now, the discussion was actually about the upcoming runoff Senate elections in Georgia. And recently the question was posed to the RNC chairwoman, Ronna McDaniel. Can you trust the Georgia election, given all of the fraud you claim took place at the presidential election level in Georgia? And Martha McCallum rightly brings up, you know, there could be Republican voters who are hearing from Trump and others about how we can't trust the election results in Georgia. They may just stay home if they believe their vote won't be fairly counted. And Lara Trump actually takes issue not with Rana saying maybe that's true, but with Martha McCallum presuming that Donald Trump lost the election. And when she tries to pull this out, Martha McCallum brutally confronts Lara Trump with the reality that States have certified Joe Biden's wins that there's nothing else to do. You can't squeeze any more water out of that rock. Uh, take a look at how it goes. Um, they're saying, why should we even go out? This is already decided. Why should we bother? So it, that sounds to me like a, a pretty good cocktail uh, for having a lot of Republican voters who support the president stay home. And then he's not going to get what he wants, which is to have his legacy uh, protected by these senators. Well, look, I still think that uh, the president will get four more years in office. I think it'll be the next four years because this thing is far from over. Wow, you just but had certifications today in Arizona, in Georgia, in Wisconsin. You heard well, Geraldo moments ago look, say, you know, it's time to accept the outcome of this. What what are you seeing or hearing out there that that he is not? Well, those certifications are just procedural steps. And the reality is the Electoral College does not vote uh, in, in their states until December 14th. Mm -hmm. uh, Congress doesn't actually certify anything until the beginning of January. So we've got plenty of time. Sadly, we have become accustomed to having to work twice as hard, three times as hard as a normal candidate or normal campaign. Uh, but we're we're prepared for this and we're prepared for the fight. So understand that our standards are so low for what we would expect on Fox News that this sort of counts as pushback. I, I mean, it's laughable, but it, it's good that some people on Fox are doing this. But the bar is so low for what counts as holding people accountable. The casual nature with which these people continue to claim that essentially down is up, black is white, Trump won and Biden lost. Again, it's been normalized to some degree. In some circles, it is now normal to say, Trump won an election that he actually lost. Now, there is something to glean from what Lara Trump says when she says the Electoral College doesn't certify until December 14th. What she's saying is we are going to draw this out. This nonsense will be drawn out as long as possible. Now, will it end on December 14th? It's unclear. This phase might end, but they might come up with something else to keep going with maybe until 
the Georgia Senate election on, on January 5th, maybe even until Joe Biden's inauguration on January 20th, maybe even beyond who the hell knows. But back to Fox News just for a moment. Uh, we now live in a world where compared to tens of millions of people, Fox News is the voice of reason. W what I mean is we believe based on the latest polls that 80 percent of Trump voters believe Trump won. They believe something that's just not true. That's about 75 million. Uh, I'm sorry, that's about 60 million people. 80 percent of Trump's 75 million voters believe Trump won. Fox News daytime is the voice of reason on that issue relative to 60 million people. Uh, Fox News daytime is more tethered to reality than 60 million people on this issue. That is stunning. And we'll have more of these example clips from Fox News on our Instagram page, uh, which is David Pakman show on Instagram. If you want to see some of my latest hate mail, I, I encourage you to look at this just for a laugh. You can follow me on Instagram at David The David Pakman show at David What if you could read 10 books in just one sitting? That's exactly what one of my favorite apps lets you do. It's called Blinkist. And what they do is take thousands of popular nonfiction books. They condense them down into text or audio that you can consume in 15 minutes. Blinkist makes sure that you're getting all of the important core insights from each book. So it's perfect for exploring a book you otherwise wouldn't have time for. If there's a full book you're thinking about buying, you can use Blinkist to get a sample first. Just think how much you can enrich yourself by being able to soak up an entire nonfiction book in just 15 minutes. I recently checked out the book Podcast Marketing Strategy by Daniel Rolls and Kieran Rogers, and so useful, so particularly applicable to what I'm doing. Really recommend it. Blinkist has books on politics, philosophy, science. They have 27 different nonfiction categories and a subscription is only about eight bucks a month and you get access to the entire library. But you can try it totally free and get 25 percent off a subscription when you go to Blinkist.com slash Pacman. That's B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash Pacman. One of our sponsors is privacy.com. They're giving you $5 when you sign up for their completely free service at privacy.com slash Pacman. I've been using privacy for a little over a year now. You've heard me talk about it before. It's a lifesaver. And here's how it works. It takes just a couple of minutes to set up. Anytime you buy something online or on the phone, instead of actually using your real credit card number, the privacy app and the browser plugin let you give each company a randomized virtual credit card number that you create out of thin air. It'll even autofill the card number with one click and the payment is taken out of your checking account without the merchant ever knowing your real information. So this allows you to keep your banking information secure, but also to take control of your finances. You can create up to 12 of these virtual credit cards a month. You can set spending limits. You can freeze them. You can delete them anytime you want. So when you do this, it means you're not going to be charged when you don't want to be because you can destroy the virtual card number right after using it, which, for instance, I love using free trials because I know I won't be charged when the trial is over. If I use a virtual credit card number, you're keeping your identity private by not telling companies who you are. 
You're keeping your bank or credit card info protected against data breaches and identity theft, and it's free. There's no catch whatsoever. But if you want, privacy also offers a $10 a month plan that gives you 1% cash back and lets you create 36 credit cards a month and a $25 a month plan tailored more for small businesses where you can create 60 card numbers a month and much more. But definitely go ahead and at least get started with the free plan. You'll protect your financial info. Companies can't charge you unexpectedly. And like I said, you'll get $5 to spend when you sign up at privacy.com slash Pacman. Welcome back to the David Pacman Show. Today we're going to be speaking with Frank von Hippel, who is a professor at Northern Arizona University and author of the book The Chemical Age, How Chemists Fought Famine and Disease, Killed Millions and Changed Our Relationship with the Earth. Uh, and Frank, you know, in, in, in reading about the history of chemistry and, and chemists, it seems that a theme with with essentially every technological advancement in human history, agriculture comes to mind, nuclear power comes to mind. We both have much good and the possibility of of much bad that it, it, am I am I correctly understanding that that is essentially the broad history of chemistry? Yes, for sure. And and like you're saying, it's also the history with physics and many other fields that lead to technological advances that we have these wonderful innovations, but they have massive unintended consequences. Uh, I think a lot of times when people think about chemistry, they think about the last hundred years, 150 years, maybe 200 years. And they think of chemicals that include things like uh, pesticides, as an example, or uh, chemistry used in in medical technologies, but the history of chemistry really goes back much further than that. It does. It really goes back to alchemy in a way, where people were do using trial and error to find new ways of doing things, often impossible things like trying to turn lead into gold. But those experiments led to a lot of advancements, and I would say that modern chemistry really arose in the early 1800s with the advent of organic chemistry as chemists learned how to synthesize different kinds of chemicals that are only otherwise found in nature. And that's what gave rise to our modern pesticides, our modern chemical weapons and so on. It seems that correct me if I'm wrong, but there's a bit of an analogous history with um, what what we now know of as two very different fields, astronomy and astrology. At one point, there, there was an overlap between those and then they eventually sort of separated and, and much the same way alchemy, which now is the subject of many sort of pseudoscience books and, and sometimes overlaps with everything from psychics and other things. At one point, it was right there at the start of modern chemistry as well. That's exactly right. And so with the advent of modern science where we disprove things and we subject ideas to experimentation, of course, alchemy went away. And we have the the modern field of chemistry rise out of that. When we start to think back in the history of chemistry and thinking about the, the major breakthroughs within the field, what are sort of like the top level, most important milestones? Well, I would say the first one would be the synthesis of urea by Frederick Wohler in 1828. And that's really the, the point of origin of, of organic chemistry. Uh, but there are many others after that. And in, in terms of the pest history of pesticides, we had the first commercial pesticide, which was called Bordeaux mixture. It was a copper sulfate solution in the 1870s. 
And that then led to the proliferation of initially uh, toxic metal-based pesticides. And then we had major inflection points in World War I and World War II. World War I, because it was incredible cross-fertilization of talent of chemists who were working both on pesticides and chemical weapons. So we had pesticides become chemical weapons and we had chemical weapons become pesticides. And by the end of World War I, a, a quarter of the artillery shells flying over the trenches had chemical weapons in them, which is extraordinary to think about now. Just that was really a chemical war. It was the chemists who, who really decided the outcome of that war. And then things got even more uh, advanced and, and horrific in a way with World War II, where we got the advent of the organophosphate nerve gases like sarin and tabin, which were developed by Nazi scientists, and those developed into the modern organophosphate insecticides after the war. So early on in the history of pesticides, I mean, it, my reading of it seems to suggest that this was really seen as just a boon and a great thing, uh, the, the all positives in the pros column and really nothing in the cons. Uh, because it allowed more food to get to the point at, at which it could provide sustenance to people and it provided an expansion of available calories and really solved a lot of problems that were that were prevalent at the time. Was it that were, were there people sounding alarms early on and, and sort of like what is the history of when the other side of pesticides started to become more known? Yeah, it's a terrific question because initially chemists who were developing these chemicals were fighting scourges of humanity that have faced us since we started agriculture. They were fighting famine and they were fighting infectious diseases. So famine because crops are destroyed by pests like rats and, and cockroaches and, and uh, grasshoppers and so on, but also crops are destroyed by plant pathogens. And that's what led to the potato blight uh, disaster that caused the greatest famine ever recorded in Ireland in the 1840s. So chemists were trying to fight famine and they're also trying to fight infectious diseases that were vectored by animals like malaria and yellow fever, typhus, bubonic plague, and so on. And so the motivations were really good. And these chemicals were quite effective. They, they were averting famine and averting diseases. But the first alarms really started, I would say, right after World War I. There were a lot of people getting poisoned by toxic metals in their food, especially lead and arsenic, which were used in insecticides and often present on produce. And if people didn't wash the produce, they could get poison from it. But even then, it was kind of a grumbling. And then after World War II, there was further grumbling as people saw widespread loss of wildlife. It really wasn't until 1962 when Rachel Carson published Silent Spring that we saw massive public outrage about the pollution and the destruction of the environment caused by these chemicals, as well as human health effects. When it comes to there's now sort of a new a, a sort of newer movement of um, earth friendly. And again, it's this idea of of so-called pesticides, but they're sort of like non chemical earth friendly, you know, things I'm not actually I'm not actually aware of what the substances are, but you you'll sometimes hear, hey, you know, you can use uh, you spray lavender on your garden. This is not a real example, but you put lavender on your garden and then put, uh, you know, onion peels and then the animals just don't come near. Is is there does what does the the chemistry community think about that type of thing? Can something totally innocuous really be as effective as some of these more uh, uh, pernicious chemical pesticides? Or or is that in order to get the huge benefit, you've got the huge risk as well? 
Yeah, so it's a great question. And unfortunately, with the big benefit of using chemical pesticides, we also create our own dependency on them because these chemicals not only kill the pests, they kill the predators and parasites of those pests. So they kill the spiders that eat those pests. They kill the um, the parasitoid wasps that infect those pests. They kill the birds that eat those pests. And then you end up being in this vicious cycle where you have to use more and more chemicals to get the same yield. So it's not a simple answer. And, and really, there are many organic solutions that don't require chemical pesticides that are quite effective. Um, but part of it has to do with the way crops are rotated, uh, growing a diversity of crops rather than a monoculture. If you have 10,000 acres of the same crop, of course you're going to get an outbreak of pests because it's this giant salad bowl for them. So we need to be thinking holistically about how we grow our food and at the same time reserve chemicals for when we really need them. In my opinion, that would be for fighting infectious diseases where we, we have outbreaks of pests that we need to handle. Yeah, I, I found uh, absolutely fascinating um, Omnivore's Dilemma by by Michael Pollan, where he talks about going to Joel Salatin's farm in I believe it's it's Virginia and explains how there's this kind of vicious cycle of, you know, you start to need, for example, antibiotics for cows when the cows are being fed grain instead of grass, because that's not natural for the digestive system of the cow. And it at least makes the case that at some level you can have this regenerative agriculture that doesn't depend on the types of pesticides that that you write about in the book. Can that can that really work at scale? Yeah, so I, I think it's a great question that we need to explore as a society because it hasn't really been tried. We went from operating as small farms throughout the world to having industrialized agriculture after World War Two. Population has grown tremendously. And now we need to see, can we do it sustainably? We have to find a way to do it sustainably because it's certainly not sustainable the way that we rely on chemicals now and the damage it does to our health and the environment. So there's going to be some kind of a compromise where we're using the minimum of these pesticides that, that one needs to use while maximizing all of these other benefits of using diverse agriculture and, and, and going to a smaller scale, more local markets. Why are we shipping foods all around the world that can be grown nearby? So we need to completely rethink our agriculture uh, to go back a little bit to the uh, sort of public health side of, uh, of of the field of chemistry. What do you make generally? I mean, I have more specific questions, but what do you make generally about the types of concerns expressed over the last few months about the uh, coming coronavirus vaccines, some based on the speed with which the vaccines were the developed, some based more on conspiracy theories about Bill Gates and microchips, but concerns that at least some some seem in good faith about the makeup of the vaccines and the storage and the long term effect on the body. What's your general sense of the discussion around vaccination right now? Right. So I'm a big advocate of vaccines and including the new vaccines coming out for COVID. I think they're incredibly important. And although the vaccine for COVID-19 was developed incredibly quickly over the last 10 months or so, the technology it's based on has been in development for 20 years. And so it's not it's, it's a new technology to be employed for a human vaccine, but it's been in development for a long time and the biology is well understood. So to me, the vaccine looks very safe. It looks efficacious. It's more efficacious than many of us were expecting. And certainly I'll be ha asking my parents to get it as soon as it's available for older people and for the rest of us when it's available. 
So, um, I, and as far as the these um, the slander against Bill Gates and people like him, it's just horrible. Here you have someone who's working very hard for the public benefit, using his own resources to do so, and then he's getting attacked for it. I just find it absolutely horrifying that that's going on. One of the arguments that's sometimes being made and to call it an argument maybe is a bit of a stretch, but one of the claims that's being made is that um, we don't know if by test by testing these vaccines for a few months on people in phase three trials. We don't know if a year, two, three, four years down the line, there will be some unforeseen follow on effects. Now, of course, it's a sort of indefeasible argument in the sense that if a vaccine has been around 50 years, you don't really know that after 51, it doesn't cause some new problems. So you could always make this argument. But in terms of what we know about vaccines, what I, the only thing I've been able to find about long term vaccine effects that go beyond a few days um, is a vaccine. The exact one I forget that doubled the risk of Guillain-Barre syndrome, I think from one in two million to one in one million over the life of the individual. Uh, what can we say about generally speaking at, at the chemical level, the idea that years down the line, a vaccine could cause something? Sure. And actually, the, the example you gave is a good one, because typically where vaccines have an adverse effect, it's at the scale of one in a million or two in a million people that have some serious consequence of that. And if you compare that to the serious consequence of getting measles or getting mumps or rubella or or tetanus or any of these other things that we get vaccinated against, it's it's there's no comparison. So, yes, there may be one in a million, two in a million people who, due to their genetic makeup and their environment, have some serious consequence of a new vaccine. But look at the mortality rate of people from COVID-19. I mean, we have about one percent or almost one percent of people infected are dying. And, and that scale, there's no comparison to one in a million versus one in a hundred. So in terms of vaccine history, I think that's what the lesson is, is that uh, nearly always they prove to be safe. There are cases where they're not safe. You usually discover that quite quickly. Um, and, uh, and this happened with the dengue fever vaccine, for example. And so when those problems occur, they're pulled off the market, the problem is solved. And we're very lucky to live in a time where the science is so advanced that something like this can be developed this quickly rather than us suffering through 30 years of COVID-19 before we have a solution. Very, uh, very, very well said. We've been speaking with Frank Von Hippel, who teaches at Northern Arizona University. The book is The Chemical Age, How Chemists Fought Famine and Disease, Killed Millions and Changed Our Relationship with the Earth. Uh, Frank, I so appreciate your time today. Thank you so much, David. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. One of our sponsors today is Lucy, and they are giving my audience 20 percent off. Lucy is a company founded by Caltech scientists with only one mission, which is to help people quit smoking and vaping by offering a clean, affordable nicotine alternative. Now, many of you know, you've heard the stories. I've known several people in my life who have struggled with quitting smoking. I've seen how difficult it can be. And nicotine alternatives can be hugely helpful. Lucy offers a nicotine gum in three flavors, wintergreen, cinnamon and pomegranate. They also have lozenges which come in cherry ice flavor. Lucy is affordable. It'll ship right to your door. You don't have to go out to the store. Shipping is always free. You can buy single boxes or save with a subscription. It's the year 2020. 
it's time to throw the cigarettes away and get rid of the vape and Lucy can make it easier. You'll find a ton of excellent reviews online from countless people who have used Lucy to quit smoking and vaping. Go check them out at lucy.co. That's L U C Y dot co. The URL is in the podcast notes, and you will get 20% off when you use the coupon code Pacman. Quick disclaimer I'm required to give these products contain nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. The David Pacman Show at davidpacman.com. So I um I I truly don't know where to start with this today. Uh, last night in Michigan, starting at 6 p.m. and going relatively late into the night, we had another so-called voter fraud hearing in front of Michigan legislatures, uh, legislators, with uh, Donald Trump's lawyers Rudy Giuliani and Jenna Ellis. Now to call it a hearing is a stretch, and what I mean by that is nobody was under oath. It was merely Rudy Giuliani asking leading questions to so-called witnesses in front of lawmakers. And when I say witnesses, that term also is a question is a term I'm using with some. Uh, 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 <laughs> it's an overstated term because many of these so-called witnesses didn't actually see anything that's evidence of fraud, uh, but they saw sometimes things they didn't like. Sometimes they didn't like how they were treated. Sometimes they didn't like um, sort of like the food situation at some of these uh, uh, vote count locations. One woman, for example, said she kept asking voters for ID when they came to vote and nobody was giving her ID. But the policy was not to ask for ID. She just decided I'm going to ask people for ID and people said no. And she didn't like that. This hearing became completely humiliating for a variety of reasons, one of which is that Donald Trump's star witness from Michigan, a woman named Melissa Carone, completely imploded. She actually seemed maybe even impaired and got into a strange argument with a lawmaker. Now, th this is also just so weird. Uh, Rudy Giuliani farted on camera while arguing with a Michigan lawmaker during during the event. And uh, I, I mean, somehow it seems like the the logical like nothing surprises me at this point. Uh, Rudy Giuliani's hair dye melted down his face, making it look like his ears were bleeding a couple weeks ago at, at a press conference. And now, I mean, listen, Rudy just farting while making this completely bizarre case. And if you're watching, you will see uh, the other attorney, Jenna Ellis, flinch when it happens and look over. It, it, it's insane that this is going on. The answer, point of order. the answer that I gave you is they didn't bother to interview a single witness just like you. They don't want to know the truth. Well, you probably know the truth. So let me just look at that one more time. And I know this is childish, but at the same time, the, the sort of generally scuffed up nature of everything that's going on, Rudy expelling air in the middle of bogus arguments about witnesses who aren't really witnesses. The other attorney, Jenna Ellis, looking over concerned, like, why is Rudy farting during this event? Take a look. The answer, point of order. the answer that I gave you is they didn't bother to interview a single witness just like you. They don't want to know the truth. Well, you probably know the truth. OK, so, so there's Rudy passing gas. But the content of this was also disgusting. This went on for hours. I covered some of it live, but I want to get to some of the key moments from witness Melissa Carone. We previously covered Melissa Carone when she appeared on the Lou Dobbs program to explain what she saw. And even Lou Dobbs during that interview with her couldn't really understand what it was that she was claiming. And if you're watching, you might actually start to see here uh, or you, you will start to see if you're watching Rudy try to sort of signal to her that maybe she should calm down a little bit. Let's just just jump right into this absolutely embarrassing, shameful disaster. 
the the poll book the poll book is completely off, completely off. Off that by thirty thousand. I'd say that poll book is off by over a hundred thousand. That poll book. Why don't you look at the registered voters on there? How many registered voters are on there? Did you do you even know the answer to that? No, I guess it's, I'm trying to get to the bottom zero. of this here. Zero. Zero. There's zero. So, my question then is if the Guess how many wait. What about what about how what what about the turnout rate? 120%? Let's uh, let's let Representative Johnson ask his question. <laughs> so the poll book number, okay, there, there's two things that could happen here. Either the poll book number, if, if ballots were counted multiple, multiple times, there, there's two options. Option number one is that the poll book numbers are not going to match. They the, don't. The actual. Not by thousands and thousands of votes. That's not what we see right now. You that, take a look again. One. Take a look again. Option number two is that they essentially were, were filling in names of people who didn't vote. That, Dead that, people, too? So is that, Let's I guess, let is that Representative your Johnson ask his question, and then when I he's done. I thought that was his answer. Okay. Well, I guess that, that's uh, well, my, my question here is why we're not seeing the poll book off by 30,000 votes. That, that's not the what case. What did you guys do? Take it and uh, do something crazy to it? So there is witness Melissa Carone, who supposedly is the bombshell witness to wrongdoing, suggesting that the wrongdoing might have been Democratic lawmakers in Michigan doing something to record books. It's unhinged insanity. And this is what they are building their supposed case around. And I use the term case very loosely. Uh, this went on the entire hearing. You keep waiting for actual claims and proof and evidence and you just get nothing. You get speculation from Melissa Carone. Maybe you did something to the record books. At another point, an Indian woman said that some people think all Indian people look alike. The Indian woman thinks all Chinese people look alike. A very weird moment. And she refers to some chow who I, I guess that's like a really weird way of saying an Asian person. I've never even heard this before. And she says this is part of the fraud that a lot of poll workers can't tell Indian or Asian people apart. It, it, just take a look like a lot of people think all Indians look alike. I think all Chinese look alike. So how would you tell if some chow shows up, you can be anybody and you can vote. And if somebody with my name, you can't even tell my name. Anybody can vote. Now, part of this is you if you can believe it is moot. Uh, like aside from this being insanely racist, you don't need IDs to vote at a lot of these Michigan uh, uh, polling places. And so whether or not like her argument is, listen, the poll workers can't tell Indian people apart and they can't tell Asian people apart. So when they show up and show ID, that could be any Asian person. It could be any Indian person. Well, they don't need to show ID. Why are we even talking about this? Now, I want to mention something else for weeks now. I've been saying when I cover these, these people are not under oath. This is not testimony. This is meaningless. It's a dog and pony show. Yesterday, some of the Democrats on this Michigan lawmaker committee tried putting the witnesses under oath and arguing that they should be under oath. And that also became an argument. Take a listen. Order. Point of order is to have them under oath. You're out of order. As I've said, this is something that is not done here in this state. Um, it's really only 
Uh, it may know, not be not done under court. the state, this but you're allowing people to come in here and lie, and I know they're lying. Representative, uh, you're out of order. I've given, I've indulged you, but you're out of order, and we're going to move on. When putting people under oath was brought up at the start of the event, the brilliant thing about this, th th there's actually there's a, there's a few different things going on here. On the one hand, the Republicans and Rudy keep saying under oath, this isn't court. Rudy said, I'm not even here as a witness. I'm here as a lawyer, so I shouldn't putting me under oath shouldn't even be an issue. Republicans say this is a hearing. It's not a court of law. But then during this hearing, when lawmakers started asking some of the so-called witnesses questions that they didn't like, Rudy says objection. You just said that this is not a court proceeding. And now you're objecting to questions as if it is a court proceeding and you're making the types of arguments in arguing these objections that you would make in court. I mean, it's just absolutely and completely humiliating. And of course, it's all going nowhere. That's the most important takeaway uh, from all of this. Completely embarrassing, completely shameful. And I don't know how much longer this is going to go on. This next story is sort of funny because it's actually something that uh, 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 people Donald Trump has stumbled upon threatening to do something that many of us on the left would be very interested in seeing him do to some degree. Donald Trump is now threatening to defund the entire military if he's not allowed to punish the Internet for being mean to him. This is the epitome of the triggered snowflake child that is thin skinned Donald Trump. So here's what happened. Back when Donald Trump threw that bizarre temper tantrum last week on Thanksgiving Day against a reporter where he said, don't talk to me that way. This is the I'm the president. You talk. You respect me. The hashtag diaper Don started trending on Twitter. Trump was furious about it and believed that Twitter should be blocking the hashtag, stopping the hashtag, whatever. So then Trump went on Twitter and said, that unless Section 230 is terminated as part of uh, the new funding of the military NDAA, he will veto the entire defense funding bill. Trump tweeted, quote, Section 230, which is a liability shielding gift from the U.S. to big tech, is a serious threat to our national security and election integrity. Our country can never be safe and secure if we allow that to stand. Therefore, if the very dangerous and unfair Section 230 is not completely terminated as part of the NDAA, I will be forced to unequivocally veto the bill when sent to the very beautiful resolute desk. Take back America now. Thank you. So this does require some explanation to understand the connection. Like, what is the connection between that and mean tweets about Trump? And it really requires sort of stretching your imagination to understand. Donald Trump thinks that the reason Twitter allowed the hashtag diaper Don to trend is that Twitter is shielded from liability for the things on its platform by Section 230. So the idea is if you terminate Section 230, Twitter would then be liable for the content on its platform rather than the users being liable. And so Twitter would say, oh, if we're liable, we're going to shut down the diaper Don hashtag. But of course, this is very, very stupid. Because first of all, why would Twitter have liability because Diaper Dawn is trending? Like, in other words, even if you repeal Section 230 and Twitter is now theoretically liable for the content on their platform, what is the liability with Diaper Dawn trending? Like, there's, it's just a hashtag. Trump is a public person, a very powerful public person. There are there would be no repercussions for that. And secondly, the hilarity is that if indeed Section 230 was terminated, Twitter would probably have to ban Trump 
because it's Trump that regularly publishes things to Twitter that would endanger Twitter. Trump threat, uh, uh, threatens people on Twitter. Trump incites his followers to bully people, as we've seen happen with Georgia election workers over the last week. So the incredible irony is that Donald Trump seems to think if Section 230 goes away, Twitter will block diaper Don. But more likely, if Section 230 goes away, Twitter has to ban Trump. But then we get to the really outrageous part, which is that Trump ran on the biggest and best military ever. And he claimed Obama ruined the military and Obama uh, uh, hurt and diminished the military and his followers love the military. And on a whim, Trump says, if we don't make it so Twitter will block diaper Don, I will defund the entire military apparatus. And are his followers OK with this? When some Democratic voters said defund the police, they said, no, 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 no. That'll destroy America, even even though no Democrats in power want to defund the police. Almost no Democrats in power want to defund the police. Now Trump on a whim says defund the military because someone tweeted mean things about me and the cultists are mostly silent. There are a few who are angry about it, and we will talk about that on today's bonus show. But the big takeaway here is that January 20th cannot come soon enough. Hey, uh, this is a really funny caller. This is a guy who doesn't like me, but he's very polite and almost endearing in a certain way. He calls me a fool. He tells me to shut up, but he actually is sort of polite in doing it. Take a listen to this. Our voicemail number, of course, is two one nine two David P. David, uh, I'm in Texas. I'm I'm watching your performance. I guess the best way to describe it. Right. Uh, it's rather offensive that you keep interjecting your opinion, which is so biased. Well, this is an opinion show. That's what people. That's what I mean. I guess that's why people watch. Do you not watch what happened with your boy? Biden and his son, they're corrupt. You fool. Shut up. Thank you. Shut up, you fool. Thank you. Uh, I, I don't know. Something about that I'm uh, I'm finding endearing. Make sure you sign up at joinpacman.com to get access to the bonus show. We will talk about this uh, Trump vetoing the military budget threat. We will talk about a major decision from the Department of Transportation about service animals on planes and much, much more. Sign up at joinpacman.com. I'll see you then.